Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. You guys know that I like science fiction. In, in one of the oldest science fiction shows in 1963, there was a British show called Doctor Who uh, that they're still making episodes for. Um, I like the old black and white episodes. I'm not a fan of the, not a fan of the new stuff. Um, back in 1966, they predict, the show was only supposed to go 13 episodes. They've had over 1,000. Um, so back in 1966, they, uh, uh, they, they had a show where the Earth got conquered, well, at least attacked, by aliens in 1986, 20 years in the future, um, from a planet called Mondas. Um, and I don't think in any of their minds that, that obviously, that the show was still going to be around. Again, it was only supposed to go 13 episodes. They had no idea that in 1986, they would still be filming episodes, which... When 1986 rolled around, they had to kind of come up with an episode where they kind of explained everybody missed the alien invasion. They just kind of slept through it. And I remember New Year's Eve, 1986, living in East Northport, New York, just for the fun of it, waiting up till midnight on December 31st, just to make sure I didn't miss that alien invasion. Yeah, I, obviously it wasn't real, but it was kind of fun to say. I waited up for the Cybermen. They didn't show up. Science fiction's fun that way. Um, do you remember the show Space 1999? That was a show. Ah, uh, that didn't happen. Um, 2001, A Space Odyssey. That one's off. And I don't know if we launched Captain Buck Rogers into space in 1987, but I think we missed that one by a lot. The one that is eerily predicted. There's a few that are eerily predicted. Star Trek uh, had a spinoff show called Deep Space Nine. And in Deep Space Nine, there's a point where they go back in time to the year 2024. And in the year 2024, America, the United States of America, is beset by um, zones called sanctuary cities that are full of the homeless and the poor and the mentally troubled but America's not dealing with it because there's too many problems in Europe. Wow. That was 1995 that they made that. And the images from that episode look like they're straight out of San Francisco or, or any of these other cities that are struggling with the homeless epidemic that we have right now. Very, very spooky how accurate that one was. When science fiction goes into the idea that the future is not a pretty place, we tend to call that kind of fiction dystopian. And I think it's the longest-running comic book in the world is a comic book called 2000 AD, which is out of, which we passed all the predictions of 2000 AD as well, uh, out of England. Now, as a point of comparison, um, 1938, Action Comics number one came out. That comic is famous for a guy named Superman. Um, they've had a thousand issues. 2000 AD comes out more than once a month. They've had over 2000 comic books come out. So it's, 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 there are more issues of this one. And 2000 AD is most famous for predicting that in the future, maybe the year 2000, maybe it was later, um, the world 
would get so carried away with creating laws to micromanage our lives that everything that we might do that's off would be illegal. And so there's this, this lawgiver, this cop uh, called Judge Dredd, who fights against these horrible laws that are leaning down upon us. Now, laws are a funny thing, right? They're good in, they're, laws are good until we pile so many on people that they overwhelm us and you have to get stuck wondering, well, is this illegal? Is this illegal? Is this Ill-? and, and I'm not trying to comment on our country. I'm not, I, I, I might think we have one or two too many, but maybe, maybe, we just, maybe we need to shift them. Maybe we're over-regulating some things and under-regulating others. I, that's not my point. The concept of law being a negative thing a law that weighs down upon you and doesn't give you freedom, but just takes away all the, all the, the fun and the joy. Well, that's kind of what I read when I read Galatians chapter 5. When I read what, the way that Paul treats the law in the book of Galatians is this dystopian idea. I mean, because to me, laws protect me. My, my thought is that Speed limits are a good thing. I don't always get the ones that say like 14. There's a sign in Morgantown, there's, there was a 14, and I think, why not 15? I, why, why that number? But I like speed limits. I like the laws that say don't do illegal drugs. I certainly like the laws that say don't steal, don't kill. Those are great laws, right? They keep me safe. But I think that all of us can see that there can come a point when we might get carried away. Uh, all those law, You've seen those crazy law books that you can look up. There are, there are an awful lot of laws that cities and states still have on the books about you know, when you get to the edge of town, you have to get out of your car and honk to warn all the horse and carriages that you're approaching town. And many of those are still on the books. You're still supposed to do that. Nobody does that because there's no more horse and carriages, and I don't, can't imagine anybody would prosecute that. But, But that's not the kind of law that we're talking about in Galatians chapter 5. Look with me. Paul talks about the burden and the enslavement of the law, that dystopian idea. Read with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul tells us the law brings slavery. Now, my other thing that I enjoy, in addition to my comic books and science fiction, tangential to that, I like spooky stories. I like, I like my vampire and my ghost stories. I do collect those. I like ghosts a little more than vampires. Um, that Both of these are things that escape death, but then ghosts haunt. 
I mean, that's the thing. They're like bound to a place and they haunt people. And they're kind of like tortured by the way they died or something maybe. And vampires, yeah, they live forever but can't see sunlight, ugly feeding habits, um, slaves to their hunger and slaves to the night. It's not really freedom. You know, I, and I read these stories and I think that that cost of what they gain, the cost isn't worth it. And that's why I think that those are tragedies. I would absolutely say that all, all vampire stories, all ghost stories are tragedies. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, You cannot serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or despise the one and be devoted to the other, but you... He says you can't serve God in money. But I think that that applies to more than one thing. It applies to this. Paul says that the law brings slavery. And what he says is circumcision, but that is, circumcision is, uh, is an example, it is a, uh, uh, it's a metaphor for the law. That would be like saying, um, you know, uh, you know uh, the White House says X, Y, or Z, but what we mean by the White House is the president or the executive branch of government, or, you know, we, we use White House as an example uh, of the whole of and and circumcision becomes this example. It was the obvious example. It was what the Judaizers were pushing on the Galatian men. Because to be Jewish, if you were a Jewish man in good standing with the Jewish community, you were circumcised. And the Jewish and, and the Jews who were pushing the law the Old Testament law on these Gentiles, these non-Jews in the churches in Galatia, that was an example, but it was an obvious example. Circumcision was in external regulation. And it had a purpose, right? It would identify who was Jewish. I, and, that, and that's the point is, it was an external thing, but it didn't show anything on the inside. You could, if you went through the, if a man went through the example of circumcision, the, the physical surgery on the outside, he might look great, but you couldn't see what was in the heart. He might love God, he might hate God, he may not believe in God. He, he was good for the legal regulation. And that's the big difference, as we talked about last week, the big difference between the Old Testament and the New. The Old Testament had these rules and regulations. And yeah, the, Bible, the Old Testament talks about loving God, but the heavier emphasis was on just obeying and doing these rules, and if you do these rules, you're okay. In the New Testament, we get this radical concept that God cares more about what's on the inside than the outside. And, and so that's the argument that Paul is, is having with the Galatians. You guys, if you're listening to the Judaizers, you're going to fall back into the idea of caring about the law and the rules, and that's not what the focus is of Jesus. When Paul says, this doesn't save, what he's saying is that it's not about being Jewish. It's not about, and and those of us who are not Jewish, we're grateful for that. It's not about the outside stuff. You know, Jesus uses the example of cleaning the outside of the bowl without cleaning the inn, inside. He also gives us the example of a whitewashed tomb, painted and, and, and beautiful on the outside, but of course the inside is full of death and decay. 
there's more, says Paul, to being right with God than being born into the right country, the right family, uh, childhood, sur- uh, childhood surgery. And in fact, that was the point of the law, no, big L, we're not talking about speed limits, the point of the Old Testament law, it was too hard to follow. There were so many things. It was supposed to be overwhelming. You, you weren't going to be able to keep it all. And so then you had to offer yearly sacrifices. And all the yearly sacrifices did was kick the can down the road. They didn't forgive you forever. Okay, you're good till the next year when you can offer the next yearly sacrifice. And the people were supposed to get the idea this is kind of burdensome. We're glad, glad, glad that God loves us, but isn't there a better way? Can't, wouldn't it be great if one sacrifice would forgive us once and for all? The people were slaves to the law. Um, legalistic rules that no one could hope to perfectly follow. And it, and it, was, it should have been depressing. I would think that it would be discouraging. Um, the Jews were meant to be looking forward to the cure, to, to the fulfillment. Jesus came to bring freedom from rules and regulations. It's not supposed to be about rules anymore. It's about a relationship. Those are the two contrasts. There were the rules of the Old Testament. There's the relationship with God through the New Testament. Now, let me, let me point out, this is not a plan A and a plan B. This is the fulfillment of plan A. God had a relationship with his people, but it wasn't fully explained. Through the rules, it hinted at what was to come. It's not, oh, plan A didn't work, let's go to plan B. Let me be very clear. God never changed his mind. But in the early half of the plan, in the Old Testament, it was not fully explained. Do this, do this, we'll offer the... You do that with kids. Do this, why? Well, when you get older, I'll explain it. But for now, just do it, right? And that's, that's what God was doing with Israel. Just do, follow these rules. There will come a point when that will be fully explained. And so that's what Jesus comes to do, is to fully explain the point was never the rules. If the rules were the point, legalism would be the end goal. But the goal was never the rules. The goal was a relationship with God through Christ. Um, that should bring joy and freedom. So how crazy then, Paul says, that you guys are falling back into the legalism and insisting on the law but but we get it. At the end of the day, rules are a little bit... Because the Old Testament cared more about the exterior and the outside, the laws, if you did follow them, you didn't have to worry about what was on the inside. You could offer your sacrifice, and the priest wouldn't know that your heart was in the wrong place. You could go through the motions and look good to everybody, and... And you might not be following through with, you know, in your heart with that relationship with God. And the, and the New Testament then, then changes that. Um, and so Paul says, how, and, and that's, why, that's why legalism is easy. And I'm going to be honest, that's why cults flourish. We've seen them. Heaven's Gate, Waco, Texas, um, Jim Jones. The reason people fall for that is there is a comfort in saying, even if there's a lot of weird things, 
do this, 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 you're good. Because that's a whole lot easier, being given a list of if you get this done and you're done, than it is for the New Testament to say, be Christ-like. That's it. <laughs> that, that seems so much more stressful because now that's on me. I have to figure out what that looks like in my life. And quite frankly, there's never a point when I have to quit, when I get to say I'm, I'm done. If, if a cult leader tells me do A, B, C, D, and E and you're good, if I can get those done by 3 in the afternoon, the rest of the evening's mine, right? Be Christ-like and there's no time off. It's always on my mind. And I think that that's why people turn to cults because in a cult, someone else does the thinking for you. Legalism and law gives you that freedom that you can kind of turn your brain off. Um, but, but it is law or it is grace. It is rules or it is a relationship. The law alienates us from Christ. The law and, and the slavery that comes with it is a burden that ties us down and takes our freedom from us. And it, and it doesn't take much. Paul's going to go on as we're going to read that it's like putting yeast in, in dough. doesn't take much yeast before it is no longer unleavened bread and for, for the purposes of Israel is unworthy of being, of being bread. Read with me, in fact, in verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. Little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the, in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for the agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I, I think he's upset. <laughs> The opposite of slavery, you would think, is freedom. And it is, but we know this phrase, but freedom isn't free. Uh, Freedom comes from obedience. Paul says in verse 7 that it is specifically obedience to the truth. Uh, You are either obedient to the law or you are obedient to the truth of God in Christ. One brings slavery, the other brings true freedom, But yes, we get this. Freedom isn't free. It has a catch. I think we get that in the U.S. Um, Now, unfortunately, there was a time that I would have said we're the freest country on earth. I actually, uh, there are websites that that measure rubrics of freedom, and we're number 17th on on at least the one site that I looked at. And I think that, and, and they measure various things. And I think that there's truth to this, and I think it comes as a warning sign. And I don't think it's unpatriotic to say this, and it doesn't matter if I'm patriotic or not. I just want to be biblical in the pulpit. But I think it serves as a good example. Increasingly, we have people that are scared of the world around them. They're scared of freedoms. Let me, let me be clear. After going through COVID, let me be very clear that we should all be sympathetic to some of the fears that people have. Having said that, there's a point where, and I think we all see this, people will begin to sacrifice some of their freedoms for safety. Obviously, back in the late 1700s, our founding fathers of our country were willing to sacrifice their lives for what they saw as freedom from what we would say is not that terrible of a system these days. Quite frankly, 
It's not like England was the most horrible country in the ancient world. Uh, ancient, 200 years ago, right? Um, they, they weren't terrible. And today a lot of people would say, ah, that's not worth going to war for. But for our founding fathers 250 years ago, that was worth, worth dying for. These days there are a lot of people that would say, you know what, if you can guarantee me a meal and internet what Rome would call bread and circuses. If you can give me this and this, we will give up our freedoms. That's what Rome did. Rome was a republic the way the U.S. is. And the people were happy to have an emperor instead of the freedom to vote because the emperors offered food and entertainment. And we may be following that. I don't know. if, if I think there are people that would happily give up freedoms for guaranteed food and entertainment. And, and in a spiritual sense, there are people that would give up Freedom for security that legalism brings, slavery is easier. Um, take, take away some freedoms, get people to conform. Freedom has a price. There's a responsibility involved in being free. Freedom has a price for Christians. I want to look at Jesus' words in John chapter 14. It's a bit of a long passage, but I couldn't figure out where to break it up, so we'll... John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then Judas, not... Judas Iscariot said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Those words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. A lot of con- Again and again, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. That's... The price of freedom. Uh, freedom in Christ has that price, and that price is we are free to obey God through Jesus Christ. Somebody will say, I've been freed by the blood of Christ. Sin has no hold on me, so I can do whatever I want to. No. No, you can't. Not, not and call yourself Christians because Christians are obedient to the Lord through Jesus. Obedience to the truth is freedom. Obedience to God is freedom in Christ. Obedience to the rules of God is necessary to live life to the fullest. And I say rules. I don't know what the right word is. I don't like the word rules. 
But what are we obeying other than the words of God? The person who is disciplined enough to follow them will enjoy life the most. And if you say, but I'm not disciplined, good news, that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own, and you can't do it perfectly. But unlike the Old Testament, where when you sinned and you failed, and you offered sacrifices, that sacrifice has already been offered. It's done. You don't have to worry about that. You're forgiven. Try again, because we don't say, well, then I won't obey, because Jesus is very clear. If you decide to quit obeying, you clearly don't love God. We love God. We obey God. And when we mess up, we are forgiven, and we keep going, and we try again. Let me ask you the question, who enjoys basketball the most? The person who knows the rules or the person who has no idea what the rules are in watching a game? Very obvious, right? The person who gets the rules gets what they're watching and they're more into it. I think that's true for football, for for baseball. Um, Roger Ebert was once asked, and I remember, uh, because he lived at one time in Urbana, Illinois, uh, his hometown where I used to live, Uh, He was pretty popular around there. He was asked in an interview at one point, in all these movies that you watch, do you ever get sick of movies? He said just the opposite. He said, because I know what makes a good movie, I therefore appreciate all the more when I see one, and I enjoy them all the more. He says, I think I probably enjoy movies better than anybody because I know what makes a good movie. Incidentally, for those that are curious, when asked what the greatest movie is ever, he said Citizen Kane. Um, he said, it's a classic. Everybody says it's a classic. It's a classic for a reason. He says, I, my, for first-year Greek and for first-year Hebrew, my professor was a man named, named Sam Reed. And Sam Reed described... <laughs> Sam, Sam Reed was amazing. Jo- jogging, cycling, bicycling, scuba diving... And he was like 75. <laughs> um, he, was, he was an incredible man. He, he, said, I can, he, he said, I compare learning the biblical languages to scuba diving. He said, there's a difference between scuba diving in a pool and scuba diving in the coral reefs. Now, he said, don't get me wrong. Scuba diving in the pool is fun. The coral reefs is a lot better. He said, reading the Bible is amazing with English. But when you can add some extra tools and expand, he said, it's so much more interesting. That doesn't mean you have to know Greek and Hebrew. But at the same point, it's a very useful tool to be able uh, uh, to, to do more, to appreciate more. In the same way, see if I can phrase this right. The more we obey God, the more we get out of life. There will be people that follow Christ and they're hanging on, I would say hanging on by fingernails. Their obedience is barely there. They don't have freedom they're not able to get away with more. We don't sit and stay jealous. Man, those, look at all the terrible things those people go. I wish I could get to do all that. We, we don't look at, their, the, at the sin in their life and be jealous, just the opposite. You guys haven't, you're not living life to the fullest because the more obedience we have with God, the more we get to live for what we were created for and the world becomes better for us. And this is just a foretaste of what is to come afterwards. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. 
if you keep on biting and devouring each other. Watch out, or you will be devoured by each other. The chance to be free, says Paul, is the chance to serve others. Freedom is for service, and this is where the Greek language doesn't really... We have, in English, maybe unfortunately, we definitely know the difference between a servant and a slave. America has that time in our history when you had the, the cotton farms of the South and you had slaves and their terrible images. And then we compare that to Mr. Belvedere, who's a servant in England. And, and we see that there's a di- in, in, in English we have this vast difference between the word servant and slave. Servants are employees. <laughs> They're just employees with a different idea in English. In, in the Greek language, servant and slave is effectively the same thing. The, the Bible... Mix and matches these these terms interchangeably. A lot of times, we will translate the Greek word doulos, servant, in one verse and slave in the next verse, and it's the same word. Freedom is for slavery? Yes. And how backwards that is. We, slaves are not free, right? This, this becomes one of those mysteries in the Bible. And again, a biblical mystery is not an Agatha Christie whodunit Sherlock Holmes, um, the Greek concept of a mystery is something that's true even if you don't get it. Okay? God became man. I, the math doesn't add up already with that statement, but it's a true statement. I don't understand it. I don't need to understand it. We have one God. He is triune in nature. He is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, but he is one God. That We do not have three gods. I don't have to get it. I just know that it's true. Um, God loves me despite my sin. Jesus, the lamb slain before the creation of the world, died for my sin. And yet, although Jesus was slain before the creation of the world, at the same time, I'm, I, have free, I have free choice to follow him or not. I don't, how do all those pieces fit together? I don't know that I even need to know. Uh, it's, it's a mystery. <laughs> Praise God. Obedience, being a slave to Christ, makes me free. And now I'm free to serve others. It may not add up on paper, but it is a truth of the Bible. We are not slaves to the world any longer. We put aside our petty desires, our hatred, our fear. Obedience brings freedom from all of that. When we're no longer slaves to those things, we're free to be godly to offer our love to others, to be the person that God wants us to be, to be Christ-like, and we can love others. Now, I'm, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard, the Greek language has four words for love that we don't have in English, because in English I can say that I love Snickers bars. I don't. What do I like? Milky Ways. I love Milky Ways. Love my wife and daughter. Love my wife, love my daughter. I I definitely love them differently, right? I love my church. Um, I love living in West Virginia in the U.S. I love comic books. These are all, we just use the same word. And they're all different things. Greek didn't have that trouble. Storge was a word that they didn't use. It's not in the, or isn't in the Bible. Um, We don't have to even worry. Eros is where we get our word erotic. It's romantic love. Eros, my wife and I. Um, 
Philos is brotherly love. Philadelphia, when they call it the city of brotherly love, Philos, love, Delphos, brother. It literally means brotherly love. Um, And it's a patriotism. Philos is a great word to talk about the camaraderie on a football team or I love my country and and, and, and we are fellow Americans and I love my fellow Americans. It's a great word for that. But the fourth word, agape, was so rarely used before the New Testament rolled around because it was this perfect concept of love. It was this idea of, of unselfishly loving others and getting nothing back. Um, it's hard in the U.S. I mean, even if you say, well, I'm going to give something to people, I'm going to use the example of Oprah Winfrey, but I'm not picking on her. When she would, I mean, she gave away amazing things. And I, I respect for that, don't get me wrong, but the cameras were always rolling, right? It always did affect her ratings. There's all you know. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to get rid of her generosity, but at the same point, it sets up. A, it sets us a good example that even when we do something good, sometimes we kind of expect to be patted on the back or thanked or something like that. And and so even when we try to do something nice for others, it's kind of hard to break away from. Can I get something out of this? Which is why Jesus tells us when you do something good, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Agape love is God loves everybody. Even the people that hate him, even the people that aren't going to follow him and are going to go to hell because they've rejected him, God loves them equally as much as he loves us. It doesn't mean he approves of what they do, but he loves them the same. And we are called to love others that way um, without any regard for whether we get anything out of it. God, it, It's a sacrificial love. It's the pinnacle of human virtue. I would almost say it's inhuman. Um, Jesus died on the cross. That's agape. And we're called to have that. The kind of love that sends missionaries to dangerous places to tell others about Jesus. Freed from the world, we can, lo- we can love with agape love. We can love others as God wa- loves us and wants us to love others. And then that song is true. They will know we are Christians. By our love. Our hymn of invitation today. It's a very good hymn for today. Number 437, Trust and Obey. So in Joshua chapter 24, I like the way the book of Joshua ends. Joshua, after they've, they've left Egypt, they've wandered around in the desert for 40 years. They come into the promised land and Joshua says, all right, make a decision today. He says, now it's up to you. Do you want to follow God or not? To this point, I've led you. You get to now decide, is this still the path you want to follow? Choose this day who you will serve. You can go back to Egypt, you can worship the Egyptian gods, or you can serve the Lord, but it's your choice. And that still resonates today. It's still your choice. Uh, God doesn't force us. If you don't want to follow him, you don't have to. But if you want to follow God, if you want to be a Christian, and you haven't made that decision, I want to talk with you about what that looks like. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.